All right, so here's the deal. How many of you literally were walking in here ready for church, you know, to meet God, and you heard jingle bells going, and you were kind of offended? Anybody? All right, good, good. That's why we did it, <clears throat> because as Mike said, we feel kind of offended that Christmas gets pushed onto us, and we just, we, part of what Jesus Christ did is he came into the world. And the church needs to wake up to this reality of the world we live in. And the world we live in, uh, Mike saw it in Sears, I saw it in in, uh, Costco weeks ago, that we're already being tempted and tantalized to spend all of our money uh, uh, on Christmas gifts for other people. So that's why we wanted to start off the service to say, um, instead of Santa Claus and all the gifts, could we get a heads up and could we get... uh, Kind of before the game, before, I know a few of you raise your hands, but before you actually start thinking about how you're going to spend your Christmas and what your budget's going to be like, could we have a complete lovelution, which I'm going to explain to you later in the message today, a complete lovelution happen in our hearts so that Christmas could be actually what it's all about. So if you'll grab that brochure that's being passed out to you today, and these will be available all for you know, the next two months, all through November and December. Um, but uh, just go ahead and flip through the first couple pages uh, once you get that. And uh, I'd like to just, again, reiterate what we've said on the video. What we want all of you to do, and this is really, really important, okay? Hey, uh, in fact, just real quick, everybody look at me. Look, let me see your eye. I know it's hard when we pass out stuff. You're like, it's, it's actually done really well too. So, but just give me your eyes just for a minute because this one, this is really important. We are not asking for you to give one dime more than you're already planning to give for Christmas. You guys understand that? This is really important to this whole process and what we want to try to do here. We are not saying increase your Christmas budget. All we're saying is could we look at the amount that we're already planning to spend and reallocate a portion of that? Now, Mike did some research, and he found out that if we would reallocate just even just 10% of that, with the, if, if the general giving that happens in America, $450 billion, did that appall anybody else just to see that number? I mean, holy smokes. Well, what he found is on the national average, if K to the church, the number of people who attend this church, would just give 10% of the national average of what people give on Christmas, This year, we could raise over $100,000 to give to people who are in need. Is that not cool? See, I'm serious. There's something inside of me just saying that that gives me chills. And that four of you applauded. That's awesome. (laughs) But, But seriously, that is amazing to me to think that we could actually have that type of impact like Jesus did. That's what Christmas was for. Christmas is God coming into the world to change the world. And instead of getting another sweater or gifts that you have to take back or putting on the fake smile that you got it, how cool would it be to know that money instead went and literally changed people's lives? So what we're saying is, look at what you plan to spend this year on your budget and take a portion of that. I'll tell you, 10% is a number we threw out there. What we really want to ask you to do is sit before God and say, God, what would you want us to do with the money that we have for Christmas right now? What, what would you want to do? Wouldn't it be like if your kids get four or five presents every year and they got three or four instead? I know that's tragic. You know, I know it's tragic. But what 
could we do? Well, here's what we could do. Go ahead and open up your brochure right into the middle. There's a, in the green page, it says ready. I just want to walk you through real quick what was up there. The number one and two are opportunities in Ethiopia. And what's really cool is on Thursday, at, uh, we met at the airport and we kicked out a group of people right here from K2. They're in Ethiopia as we speak. And what's really cool is they actually sent us back a video. So watch this real quick and let our people give you an introduction to what's happening in Ethiopia. All right. So um, just so you guys know, too, this is Addis Ababa, which is the capital of Ethiopia. Uh, I was there a couple years ago. So these guys have not even gone to the depths of the place where they're going to do their ministry yet. Uh, don't you love technology today, too, that we can hear from our people across the world? It's pretty amazing. And, um, but this, you guys, Ethiopia is groundbreaking opportunity where we have the chance, you'll see in there, to supply seminary students with books. We're actually getting the opportunity to help train them up and to teach them as they go out into the village in the sparse areas of Ethiopia and do real community health as far as bring, and, and as well bringing Jesus Christ into these places. So that's Ethiopia. The second page is Honduras. We've partnered with Honduras for the last six years. The first place we've been, you can read about the opportunities there to really help the children. It's a lot of ministry to children there. Uh, basic needs being met. Number five, we have a ministry here. So that's what we're going to do around the world. You have opportunities to touch people around the world. But the, right here in, in our own midst, we have K2X, and we have given away, you guys, thousands of dollars this last year to people right here who call K2 the church their home, who in the midst of this economy have needed either help with uh, the rent or with food or different bills just to keep their utilities on. And so if you're saying, man, I just love to help the people I'm sitting right next to who need that, that's K2X. Uh, you can give clean water. Uh, Dave and Feeling, who are members here at K2, have started an organization called Three for Five, and you can help out with that. Number seven is uh, the, the Pregnancy Resource Center. Again, just helping women who have gotten pregnant outside of marriage and just need help in that area. Um, number eight is, uh, I don't know if not many of you, but we showed a video here just recently about the human trafficking, um, sex slavery issue that happens right here in our own country and right here in our own city. And Operation 61, this, this organization that we're partnering with, is just a chance to help women get out when they get out trying to help them get out of that horrific um, slavery, literally, that they're in, and how can we bless them. Um, number nine is uh, the Salt Lake City Refugees, which we, every Monday night, uh, Open Door is a program. We, we did a view, uh, just a few weeks, showed video footage of that, so you can help support that. And then number 10 uh, is Give Former Polygamous Independence. And um, since Warren Jeffs has actually been in prison, you guys, there are a ton of people who are trying to get out of the polygamous lifestyle. And there's an organization called Holding Out Help that we have a partnership with. And right now they have 180 people that they're already working with, and there are tons more, women, children, and especially young men, who are getting either kicked out or escaping out, and when they leave, they have nowhere to go. And Holding Out Help is an amazing uh, uh, organization that's just working to provide a place, to provide a safe place for them to transition and into um, society and culture. So uh, today, actually, there are huge needs because of the number of people right now. Um, and they need, we need homes. Holding Out Helps needs people who will actually uh, allow people to come into their homes. And we also need mentors for these young boys. And so uh, there's a table out in the lobby today if you'd like some more information or because the actual need is now. 
like maybe more than ever. So if you have a space and a room that you'd be willing to think about opening up or if you'd like to mentor a young man, please check out the table in the lobby. All right? So here's how this is going to work. Um, We'd love for you to just get together and pray. And I want to tell you, man, if you have a family, if you have kids, include them in this. Don't dare go into this on your own and just make decisions. We, we took this brochure last night because I'm the pastor and I get one early. And uh, so we took this and we met with our kids last night. We just hung together. I'm telling you this. I bet you will be blown away. You will be blown away by the hearts of your kids. Um, so many kids are ready and willing and excited about being generous. And so sit down with them. Go through this brochure together. And don't make a decision right away, but just start to pray and ask for God to move you about how you as a family want to do your Christmas budget this year, okay? After you decide that, you can fill out this form, and uh, these will be available anytime. If you lose them, grab them anytime you want, and you just fill out any amount that you want to put in. You can mail this in along with the check, or you can put it in the offering basket any Sunday for the next two months. And starting next week, I'm not, but because you'll, you'll see it in here, starting next week, you'll actually be able to just go right online and do your whole thing online, all right? So, um, and then on Christmas Eve, we are going to have a major celebration. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to come together and celebrate what God has done for us and how that has done, as I'm going to explain right now, a love-illusion in our hearts and what we've been able to do because God's love got inside of us and changed us. So you guys ready to do this? All right, man. Let's, make, let's just make a huge, like a huge rock falling into a pond and just causing ripples just to go out all the way right here in our own body, into Salt Lake, beyond here into the world. That's what Jesus Christ is all about. And we're his body, all right? So I'm excited. All right, so that's what this is all about. And today's message is uh, the beginning of a brand new series. And uh, this series is called Love-Illusion. Love-Illusion. And today's message kind of is this whole idea about having a love-illusion with Christmas. Now, what is love-illusion? What's really cool is we made up our own word. Yeah, and, and the cool thing about making up your own word is you can define it however you want, okay? So here's what, here's what evolution is all about. It's the reality that God's love changes everything. God's love changes everything. It just does. Now, a revolution, here's the definition of a revolution. It's a dramatic and wide-reaching change in the way something works or in people's ideas about it. When there's a revolution, there is a dramatic change in the way things work and in people's ideas about things. And so what we're going to talk about, and I'm going to jump in here with you in a second, is why in the world would we want to take a brochure, take a portion of our Christmas budget, instead of spend it on ourselves, actually make a difference in the world and change the world? Here, there's only one, one reason. Because once God's love truly gets inside your heart, you will experience a dramatic change in how your life works and your idea about how you do things. That's what happens. So we're going to go through the book of 1 John for the next six weeks. So if you've always wondered, it's like, man, I don't know where to read and I'm not sure what to do. And man, grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have free ones out in the lobby. And I want to encourage every one of you, if you call K2, the church your home, would you consider grabbing 1 John? Now there's a gospel of John in the New Testament. There's the gospel of John that talks about the life of Jesus. 
Go all the way to the back, right before Revelation. Don't read Revelation. Okay, it'll freak you out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but, but right before Revelation is 1 John, and that's the book we're going to go through, okay? And I want to encourage every single one of you, read that and read it over and over again, and we're going to go through it together. And we're going to show you how, what happens to a person when they start to engage with God. And the love evolution, the dramatic change in our, in our ideas about life, our ideas about ourselves, our ideas about God and others, and the love evolution that changes in how we actually live our lives. You guys ready? All right? Okay, here we go. So let me just start off and share with you why and how this love evolution changes. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, very beginning of the book. And by the way, I love this book, so I'm excited that we're going to go through this thing. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we've seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, if you can just kind of maybe put that right up up, uh, at the back of the front again to the first part of the verse. See, John starts off this book and he says, you guys, I got to tell you something. Now, just so you know, when he's talking about, what I'm talking about, John says, is the word of life. This, when this eternal life, which was with the Father, appeared to us, he's talking about Jesus, He's talking about Jesus. And they would understand in this time that the word, the whole idea of the word in principle meant the very reason for life. The revelation of the purpose and meaning behind life was called the word. And so John took this idea and he said, you guys, you know that whole idea, everything that you've been trying to figure out, the reason and the purpose and the meaning behind life, you know the word? He showed up. And so what John says is, I've seen him, and I've heard him, and I've touched him. I've experienced God. And what's amazing is, and he says, I'm still experiencing him. And so the reason John wrote this book, he says, is because, listen, I want you to have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with God. I saw him, I heard him, I touched him. I watched him die, and then he came back and got right in my face, and I got to see him again and hear him again and touch him again. He is a risen God. And here's what's crazy, is when he finally rose up and today sits at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ, he goes, I, we have fellowship with God right now. And he goes, so man, I'm writing this book to you so that you so that you and I could have fellowship with God. And it results in fellowship with each other. Now, what's fellowship? Now, how many of you actually kind of grew up, you know, anybody grew up in church? I grew up in the Methodist church. How many of you guys' churches had a fellowship hall? You guys have one of those? Okay, so what's fellowship? What is it? Donuts. Excellent. Coffee. Come on, what, what is it, though? Potlucks. I mean, Right? Green bean casserole, jellos, come on. You know, it's so crazy. Like, this word fellowship is so churchy. 
isn't it? I mean, how many times did you hear the word fellowship in your work or, you know, hanging out at the bar? Probably didn't hear that word a whole lot. <laughs> so, but here's what's crazy is, you know what you were doing at the bar? Yeah, fellowship. Probably way more. Oh, I don't know if I should say I'll say it. Probably way more than what you're going to experience today. True? Yeah, it's true. Because a lot of you will just come and you'll listen to me talk and you'll maybe sing a song at the end and then you'll bolt. Is that fellowship? No, it's not. See, fellowship at its base level just means to have something in common. It means to have something in common. So last week, I actually got to go to the Detroit Lions football game, so, which was awesome. And uh, so I went over to Denver and wore my Indomitian Sioux jersey in the middle of Denver. It was awesome. And what was wild is I had fellowship. You know why? Because there were Lions fans everywhere. And as soon as you see somebody else in a blue jersey in Denver, you know what happens? You have something in common. You're like, hey, I mean, guys are, you know, they're like wanting to hug you. You're like, hey, that's okay, you know, but, but we're slapping high fives because we have something in common. That's what fellowship is at its base level. And what, God, what John is saying is we have fellowship with each other. We have something in common as a church. You know what it is? What we have in common is we have fellowship with God. I have fellowship with God. And if you're a follower of Christ, you have fellowship with God. And when we come together, then we have this amazing fellowship that starts to happen. But what's crazy, you guys, is actually the word means much more than that. It went from common, just having something common, which also would be the word for communion, right? Sounds a little bit deeper, right? And community, right? That's where we get this whole idea. It means joint participation. So you aren't just having something in common. You are jointly participating in it. And in the Greek language, it came to mean the most intimate relationship that you can have. So I have fellowship with Susie, intimacy. You guys know how, you know, it's like I can walk home, getting, getting home, and in two seconds, I know how she's doing, right? And she knows how I'm doing, because once you've had fellowship and you are jointly participating, there's something, and because here's, the word is also often translated to share, you share. See, once you start to share life with the other person, you start to really know them. In fact, it doesn't have to be your wife, though. Eric Winter, who's our, our uh, director of operations here, I've known Eric for, man, we were nine years old when we started being friends. And when we, when we roomed together in college, the same thing happened. You have joint participation. Something deep is going on. So here's what's crazy. Now here's, now here's where the lovelution takes place. Is John is saying, I share something in common with God. I am jointly participating in life with God. There is an intimacy, a mysterious, mystical union that takes place in your soul with God. (laughs) Now here's the point. When God actually comes in and meshes with you and you have fellowship with him and his love, you fully receive the love of God into your heart. What happens to your heart? It begins to change. There's a revolution that takes place when you have fellowship with God. Now, what's interesting is in John 17, 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life. Now, I don't know if you're here, if you're looking for life, 
if you're looking for the fullness of what life is supposed to be, if you're looking for the understanding of the meaning and the purpose behind this whole thing, and if you're wondering what's going to happen to you when you're done, Jesus said, this is eternal life right here. It's that you would know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. As I was studying this today, the guy, one of the uh, scholars that I, I looked at, he said that whole concept right there, that you would know God. I mean, if you guys have been here at all, I'm just going to say it again. All I long for, for every one of you in this room, is that you would know God. Man, this whole series, I, I'm so praying, will wake up some of you who've been in church and know a lot about God, but you know you don't know him. And I bet you're sitting here frustrated as all get out, isn't it? It's so frustrating to know things about God and feel like you don't know him. To have it all stuck up here and nothing going on in here. Well, see, eternal life is intimately knowing God. It's fellowship. It's intimacy. It's real. I read one guy to say, hey, man, if Jesus Christ is a doctrine, our testimony is going to be so empty and void. If Jesus Christ is a person who enmeshes his very spirit with yours, everything changes. And you guys, it's a love illusion. God's love will change everything. And that's why we are looking at this and I'm trying to understand what God has for us. So today, what we're going to look at is this. So all, all month long for the next six weeks, John just is going to help us to see, hey, you guys, this is what life should look like if you have fellowship with God. And this is what is really true about that. And so that's what we're going to look at. And today, what we're going to do is say, what happens to what, what major radical change happens in my idea and in the way I actually live out my possessions? See, why in the world would you want to take part in a Christmas love illusion? There's only one reason I'm going to, and that's because God's love is messing with me. God's love messes with me, and it's a really good thing, all right? So now before I jump in to see to the, the actual message for today, so that's kind of the intro for the whole series right there, okay? Now I'm going to jump in today to say, how do we have a love illusion with Christmas? How do we have a love illusion with our possessions as one, as one, as a people who literally have God living inside of us? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for pouring your love into us. Thank you that you did not leave us to ourselves. That there's not a person in this room who has to live life alone. That there's not a person in this room who has to live life tied to this insidious, self-absorbed life that destroys our hearts and destroys our relationships. Thank you for Jesus who came to set us free from that and that we could have a magnificent, awesome change take place inside of us. So we just pray, God, right now, would you now? Because, Lord, we're going to talk about something we don't like to talk about. And, and, uh, and you know, that's why you said more about money than anything else in the Bible. Because <laughs> you knew when we touch this topic, we, we get a little bit jittery. So, Lord, would you just help us, though, to see why you want us to live this way and the beauty and the freedom of living this way. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go. Oh, by the way, I didn't say this first. Look at this quick little one, First John. So he goes, hey, I, I, I'm proclaiming this so you can have fellowship with us 
and our fellowship is with God. So this is when fellowship gets really good is when God, we start receiving from God and what we receive from God, we start giving to each other. See, then, whoa, I'm totally loved and now I'm totally loving you. And then in verse four, he says this and he goes, I'm writing this book to you. I think I gave you verse four. Yeah, I'm writing this book to you so that our joy can be complete. Can I just ask you, who do, anybody in here not want joy? No, I really like the despair, thank you. You know, I appreciate the depression and the heaviness every day. No, and so John, this is good for six weeks. We're gonna be able to look and see how our joy can be complete. By a side note, I learned something new for me this week. I've always bugged me. Why would John say, I'm writing this to you so that our joy can be complete? I, at first, I always felt like John was kind of selfish. And sometimes it'll say in the little footnote in your Bible that it could be translated, I write this so that your joy can be complete. And I go, that makes a whole lot more sense. That John would say, hey, I'm writing this so your joy can be complete because I'm living this out. I'm not thinking about me. And then finally this week, it's not about John or about them. Who's it about? Everybody. See, what John is saying is, if we could figure this thing out, our joy would be complete. And I just want to say, as a pastor, and hopefully if you're a committed member of K2, your heart's desire is not just that your joy would be complete, because here's the point. Your joy will never be complete unless our joy is complete. Does that make sense? Do you guys know that? I'm going to show you how in just a minute. All right, here we go. Let's go. I'm so excited. All right. The first thing is this. Um, the first thing is this, um, that we need a love illusion to happen in our heart. A love illusion in our heart. Now, what I'm going to look at, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 3. So this is kind of funky. We're, we're jumping into the middle of the book to talk about the, this kind of Christmas and finances piece. And then next week, we'll go back to chapter 1, and we're going to bust right through the whole rest of the book. But in chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 16 through 18, okay? But right before this passage, when John is sitting there, he goes, man, I want to tell you all about love. And he starts off and he says, um, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And then, actually, I'm not here. Go ahead and put that down. Sorry, Jason. I'm going to get to that in a second. So he starts off and he goes, we, we need to love one another. And then he gives us the story in history in the scripture of Cain. And I don't know if you know about Cain, but Cain killed his brother Abel. And, and so, he's just, so he sets up this whole idea of Jesus by talking about Cain. And he says, now, by the way, what Cain did was bad. Okay, everybody get that, right? Murdering your brother would be bad. Everybody good on that one? Okay, that's why I'm not teaching on this passage because I thought you'd get that. All right, so here's the, here's the point. A person's life, a person's life is their most precious possession. It's the greatest thing that you have. It's your life. So to rob someone of their life is consequently the greatest sin that we can commit against somebody. If the greatest thing you have is your life, then the most hideous thing that I can do, the greatest crime against you would be to take your life. Now, on the flip side of that, the greatest possible expression of love for that person is if you give your own life. Because if your life is your greatest possession and you're willing to give that up, you have just shown the greatest way that you can love. So in these verses leading up to this passage, that's why he put Cain in here. He goes, I want to show you Cain, the absolute opposite. The worst thing you can do is take someone's life. And now go ahead and throw up verse 316. 
Which isn't this, isn't this interesting? There's John 3.16, and then there's 1 John 3.16, and it says this. This is how we know what love is. That Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. The greatest possession that he had, he gave. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So, there should be a love evolution that takes place in our heart because Jesus Christ gives away his life. And here's the point, he gave it away for you and for me. In other words, we've received, we're the benefit of this great gift of Christ. And when that happens, some things should change. A couple verses in 1 John 3.14, it says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. We've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. A love-illusion takes place when Jesus Christ gives up his life for you and you receive that gift. And then he says, now just as Christ, now we know what love is. Love is when you give up your life. So you ought to lay down your life for your brothers and your sisters. Now, let me ask you, so here's the point. Why ought you to do that? And, then, and before I share with you what I'm thinking, can I just, oh, Lord, just please go deep into our heart right now. Do you think you should? Right now, do you feel like you should live a life that you ought to live a life where you lay down your life for your brothers and sisters, for the people sitting right in this room? right around you and the people in your community. God says you ought to do that. Because if I'm inside you, a love illusion has taken place. Okay? So why, why ought we lay, to lay down our lives? And the first one is this. Because that is what we have received. So here's the question. Have you received the love of God for you? Write down this verse. If you, you know, write down Romans chapter 5, verses 5 through 8. Romans 5, 5 through 8. Um, my favorite passage, maybe in all the Bible, because it just talks about how God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. And then he explains what this love is like. Just like this verse says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. In Romans 5, 5 through 8, it shows it even more deeper. And it says, not only did he lay down his life for you, he laid down his life for you when you were powerless, ungodly, and a sinner. He laid down his life for you when you could care less about him, when you could do nothing for him, and when you always fell short. And what's beautiful, he says, and that was just the right time for me to love you. Because if you tried to be really good, you know, and then you'd be really religious and go to church every day and maybe join, you know, and do good things for other people in the hopes that God would love you, you think he loves you because of your good works. You guys following that? And what God wants you to know today, he does not love you because of anything you do. He doesn't love you because of all your good works. In fact, if you're a, just a rip-roaring sinner right now, and you're totally falling short of God's standard, and you know it, he's looking at you today and going, "Woo! just the right time. Let me love you. Because I want you to know I love you no matter who you are and where you are, no matter what you've done. 
See, now I'm telling you, when you look at somebody and you know the last thing you deserve is their love, and all of us who've been married have experienced that, right? You know the last thing you deserve when you've done something wrong to somebody else, and they turn around and they love you. What does that do? It changes you. So the first thing, you guys, why ought you to lay down your life for somebody else? When you finally realize how far away you are from God and you realize how much he loves you by sending Jesus Christ to take the penalty that you deserve so that when you stand before God one day, it's not gonna be based on how good you were. It's gonna be based on how what Jesus Christ has done for you. Man, I'm telling you, I get really grateful. Anybody else? See, why ought you to lay down your life, Christian, Christian, living for yourself today? Why ought you not to do that? Because Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. Do you know that love? Man, Paul says, I pray you get the power to grasp how much Jesus loves you. Because once that love gets really inside you, a love illusion will take place. All right? Oh, man. All right, here we go. Here's the, why ought we lay down our lives? The other reason is because that's who we are in fellowship with. If you're a Christian here today, you have received Jesus Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit, and you're in fellowship now, your life is now enmeshed with the one who never thinks about himself. You are now having fellowship, sharing, joint participating with the one who always gives his life away. Do you guys understand that? Now, let me tell you something. It doesn't, it doesn't matter at all how you feel. Because I'm a feeler. Anybody notice that? I, I, I feel things. And I want to tell you what. It's, sometimes it's fun and sometimes it stinks. Because I can wake up in the morning and I don't feel squat. For, sorry, Susie. Even for you as much as I love you. Or God. Or my kids. Or anybody. And this reality is not based on how you feel. Thank you, Jesus. What's true is I received Christ by faith through his grace and my life is in joint participation with the one who always gives his life away. So when you look at your spouse and you look at your husband, you look at your kids, you look at your jerk boss and you just feel like not caring about them at all, it doesn't matter what you feel. You guys follow me? You know why? Because I'm a Christ follower. Because I follow Christ because Christ lives inside me, because I have fellowship with God. And that changes who I am. I have a love illusion. And that's why I ought to lay down my life for my brothers and sisters. You guys follow me? All right. So that's the first thing. There's a love illusion that happens in your heart. But then what happens? Verse 317 says this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? <laughs> you know, I, I, I could just sit down and have you guys just stare at that verse for a while, couldn't I? I've had to stare at it all week. If anyone sees anybody with material possessions, or if you have them, sorry, if you have material possessions and see a brother or sister in need and have no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? Okay, here we go. You ready? So this is how this works a little bit. There should be a dramatic change in how we think about our possessions and what we do with them based on our fellowship with the love of God. 
Now, what's crazy, you guys, there's a pl- keep, can, you, can you keep that verse up there for me? Because I, I want to keep teaching that. Um, there's a play on words, actually, that's going on in here. In 3.16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life, right? And we ought to lay down our lives. And it's the word that we actually get psychology from. It's the, it's the idea of our soul. It's the deep part of who you are. You should be given away. This is what's crazy. The word, for if anyone has material possessions, the actual translation there is if anyone has the means of life of the world. In other words, bios is the word here. You guys know where we get bios, right? It leads to biology. It's in other words, it's the natural life. So what they're saying is, if you have received in your soul life, the deeper part of life, and then you see somebody who just, and you actually have the needs of physical life, and you see somebody else who's in real need, who doesn't have food, and doesn't have water, and doesn't have shelter, he goes, wait a second, you received life in your soul, and yet you can't care about the physical needs for life of the people around you? He goes, wow. He goes, you know what? I'm not sure if the love of the Father, no, he goes, how can the love of the Father be in you? Because the love of the Father, of God, sees needs, and he meets those needs. And then he says, how can you have no pity? And this is really interesting. This was so fun to study. The actual word there means, he goes, how can you, and if you shut your bowels, is what that means, okay? How many of you have shut your bowels? You know, okay. So, but really what that word means, bowels meant the deepest part. They would use what physically was supposed to be the inner part of who you are to mean your heart. If you have material possessions and you see a brother or sister in need and you basically shut your bowels, you shut your heart. If you shut the door of your heart, when you see somebody who has needs and you could totally meet that need, does that look like God? Does that look like God? Okay. So can we all, I don't want to raise your hand, I'll raise it for you. Can we all say, I think I need to grow in this area as one who has fellowship with God? How can the love of the Father be in me when the possessions that I get and the resources that I get, which the Bible teach, actually come from God? So I don't know if you guys know this, but everything you have in the bigger picture of things, God says, I've actually given that to you and y'all, you're my stewards of what I've given you. How can I take everything that God has given for me and use that for myself when the love of God, I'm having fellowship with the love of God? I I can't. I can't. So something's not going on then. Either I'm not having fellowship with God or something's just really wrong with my heart. So, man, I I looked at this passage and I just go, I cannot shut the door of my heart on physical needs in this world where our brothers and sisters are dying because they don't have water or food and even just people in our own midst have physical needs and I've got more than I need. It's one of the things we talked with our kids about last night. 
It's like, hey, you guys, do you, do you feel like we have everything we need? Yeah. Do you feel like we have more than we need? Oh, we have so many toys, right? They immediately get it. It's really harder when you're an adult to see what you don't need, isn't it? And yet, if the love of the Father is in me, who saved my soul from death, and now I have that life, something should be transpiring in me, a love-illusion, a dramatic change in how I view my brothers and my sisters. And it should show in our possessions. And so, lastly then, how in the world, he says, what needs to happen is we need to have a love-illusion in our actions. Okay? 1 John 3.18 says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Don't let us love with words and speech, but let us love in action and in truth. So here's what needs to happen today. Not just today, in, all, in my life and yours. We need to have a love illusion with our actions. There needs to be a dramatic change in how we actually live our life because there's been a dramatic change that's happened with inside our hearts. I shared this a few weeks ago. You guys, can I just, you know, let me just bring it back. All of this message today for me, all week long, it was hot dog buns all over the place again. What do I, am I really living for my own personal happiness? Or am I realizing my heart actually desires to love? And that's all this is. And one of the ways to love is we need to start understanding that what I have is meant to be given away. So, when I look at this, um, let us love one another. I, I, thought, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago where Jesus gave the story of the dad who told his son to go out and work in the field. And the one said, yeah, dad, I'll do it. And then he never went and worked in the field. And then he looked at the other son. He said, hey, I want you to go work in the field. And the guy said, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And then he went and did it anyway. And Jesus asked the religious people and he said, um, so who did the right thing? Who followed his father? And everybody knew. All the religious people said, well, the, first, the second son did. And then he looked at all these religious people and he said, um, I need to let you know that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Okay, so I so wish you could be in my heart and in my head right now. Because I'm telling you, um, we've had some t- intense, deep uh, conversations this week, Susie and I, about how we live our life. And, I, and when I spoke two weeks ago, and I shared with you that when your life is over on this planet, and you stand before Jesus one day, he says, I'm going to give you your reward. I want to praise you. I want to honor you. And it's going to be for what you've done while you were down here. See, I realize for myself, I can say all I want to say about the love illusion of God. And if I don't do it, James says, your faith without action is what? Dead. It's dead. Jesus says, you can go ahead and raise your hand and say, yeah, Father, I'll do it. You can sing worship songs and go to church and know all the right answers. And he said, on that day, people will say to me, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you because it's only those who actually do the will of my Father. So I'm just, I am, I, I, I just want to sit out there and listen to me <laughs> this morning 
and say, David, you know you've received Jesus Christ. I do have fellowship with God. Do you? Don't even need to raise your hands. Do you? I, I look at most of you, a lot of you out there, I know you do. But I'm telling you, I am nowhere near where Jesus really is in the issue of what our possessions should be. And I'm excited, actually. I live with a wife who's excited, which is a helpful thing. Um, to come together and to say, Jesus, how do we actually live this out? Would you do a love illusion in me? Would your love do a dramatic change in my heart so that I don't just take what you've given me and use it for me, but instead I'm going to love and I'm going to change the world? So let me just walk through with you how some practical ways that we've come, how, how in the world, what are some action steps, okay? So you might want to grab your pencil and just write these down. What are some action steps? How can I put this in action? The first one is this. I, I think the, the biggest thing that I have to do, number one, is I need to worship God and give him thanks. I need to worship God and give him thanks. Because right now, as an American, isn't it crazy that we can actually think our life really stinks? And sometimes it does, but when we look around us, I, part of me just goes, God, I need to say thank you to you for what you've done for me through Christ, but all the good things you have given me. If I live in a home, if I live in a car, you guys know if you make $30,000 a year, you're in the top 3% of the world. <laughs> okay, so we, it's crazy. So first thing I think that needs to do is I need to come back and I need to go remember how good God has been to me. So if you're ever gonna be generous, you've gotta know that God has been generous to you. If you think God's miserly with you, you're gonna live like this and not give it away. So worship him and praise him and give him thanks just take some time and do that on a regular basis. That's the first action step. The second one is this. You need to decide today, and I'm talking to all you Christians, okay? You need to decide today. Is Jesus Christ Lord or advisor of your life? Is he the Lord of your life? See, because sometimes I think what we want God to do is we, we just want to get some advice from God <laughs> instead of saying, hey, God, really, my life belongs to you. And that means everything. So again, understanding that you're a steward of his resources today. Everything you have is his. Now, does he actually get to call the shots on what he does with that money? See what I'm saying? Or do you, like I have an advisor, right? I have an a financial advisor, his name is Joe, right? And so if Joe came to me and told me what to do with my money and just started doing it, what would I do? I'd get really angry with Joe. Hey, this is my money. You're my advisor. I'll come to you and ask you what you want to do with it. See, and sometimes I think we treat God with, hey, this is my stuff, and would you give me some advice on how I should... Sorry on how I should actually spend it. Do you guys see how that's different than saying, no, actually, um, Joe, it'd be like, I'm actually God, and Joe is the one that I get to tell him to do what to do with my money. You guys follow me? So is, as a follower of Christ today, who's actually the master of your money? Are you or is God? And you just need to make that decision. Okay? The third thing is this. I would love to ask you this week, this week, 
to start today and pray to God and ask him to show you one person, one person that you know has a need and meet that need. You guys do that? How many of you, you guys, how many of you this week will ask God to show you, give me one person and you'll commit to meeting one person's physical need this week? How many of you will do that? Okay. All right. And I know that's pressure because you don't really want to, but you rose your hand because your neighbor did. But that's all right. So now here's the deal. Here's what I want you to do, though. I want you just to sit before God and say, God, would you help me to see those that are in need right around me and help me to see the resource you've given me to meet those needs? And then do it. Just do it. And here's what Jesus says. Here's what the scripture says. Our joy will be complete. So your joy will be complete because you're experiencing the generosity of a free heart and you will bless somebody else. And man, when somebody comes to you and says, thank you, thank you, you know what happens? Then you get blessed again and they got blessed. And next thing, our joy starts to become complete. And so here's what I want you to do. We have a website up here too. And I want to ask you to do this. If you take this challenge and actually meet the physical need of another person today, would you just write us and tell us? It's my story at k2thechurch.com. My story at k2thechurch.com. And just write that down. And at some point this week, just, just send us a quick email and say, hey man, here's what I felt like God prompted me to do. And here's what I did. And here's the results. And just share with us what that experience was like in your own heart and share what happened for somebody else. All right? Start a revolution. See, we don't have to wait. We can start a revolution even this week. All right? And then um, the last thing, I just, the, the last ap- practical application step is this. And we're going to do this in about five minutes. We're going to take our offering here. And, we, and the whole reason we do that, you guys, on a weekly basis is because God has just said, I want you to know that I've given you everything you've got. And I want you to share with the fellowship. So John says we have fellowship with each other. That word means share. And if you're a part of K2, if this is your church, if this is your body, then one of the things the scripture teaches is that part of what you, that God gives you, is supposed to go to bless the body that you're a part of. And, and so, again, that's just going to be part of it. Has he given it to you? And every week, he gives you a chance to say, you know what, I believe in you, Jesus, and I'm a part of this body, and I'm going to share. I receive from here. You've, you've been receiving this morning. Your kids are receiving. Got Life Together groups and K2U and ministry opportunities. And so we receive, and he says, so also share. So another practical step that just helps you be generous is just on a weekly basis to go give back to God and just say, I trust you. And then the last one is obviously just take this thing and go home and get with your kids and start to pray and see how we can, again, take the budget you've already prepared <laughs> and do something radical with it. All right? You guys, this is, this, I knew doing this message, I've been sitting in my room with this thing for weeks, dealing with this reality. Let me just share with you to again, and this is for all of you who are Christians. If the love of the Father is in you, in fact, actually, you know what? I just remember, let me, let me, let me close with this. And then we're gonna just sing one song today. Okay. This is when it's really fun to be a pastor. This is when it's, I know someday I got to face Jesus and make sure I've said what I need to say. Okay, so here's, what, here's where we go. If you're a Christian here today, 
If you're a Christian today, that means that you have fellowship with God. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who's received Christ and now the Holy Spirit has come. You've been baptized into Christ and his spirit actually lives inside you. You have fellowship with God. Y'all, right? Y'all good on that one? Okay. If you're a Christian today, this is what's true about you. If that's true about you today, then I do know this. As much as you may have enjoyed today's message or not enjoyed today's message, something about what I shared with you today is resonating in your heart. If God is inside you and his love is inside you, then there's something in you right now that's going, dang it, he's right. There's something inside you right now that knows, that's prompting you in this moment to be generous. Now, I'm guaranteeing you, there's another side of us that's called our flesh, and our flesh is going, shut up! Don't listen! They're going to ruin your life! I mean, seriously, can we all be honest? I mean, I've, I've sat with it all week. It's like, wow, man. You know, it's just like, it's horrible because this thing inside of us wants to live for me and hot dog buns and happiness and fun. It just does. But I'm telling you, if you are a follower of Christ today, I know this about you. As much as you may hate to hear this on one side, the soul deeper than your flesh, deeper than your emotions, where the spirit of God lies, You're going, I know this is right. The love of the Father is in me. And this is how I know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for me. And I ought to lay down my life for my brothers and my sisters because God's love is in me. There's a love illusion, a dramatic change that takes place when God's love enmeshes your heart. You start to live like God. And it changes the world. And there were a lot of religious people during Jesus' day who were lovers of money and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So they rose their hands and they said they were Christians or religious people of the day and they never lived generously. And I need to tell you today, if you don't have a generous heart, or if you're not at least feeling the prompting to take a step in that today, how can the love of the Father be in you? That's John's argument. So, I know he's in me. And I know he's in most of you in this room. So if he is, let's let him out. Let's start a love illusion. Let's start taking what he's given us. Let's start giving it away. Let's not get caught up in this American dream that when we get to heaven, none of, us came, none of it came with us. Let's stand before Jesus one day and have him say, well done. Way to go, you rocked. You let me change the world. So Mike's gonna come up, we're gonna sing one final song. Let me pray for us while we do. God, I personally thank you for this message. I know this, I'm not gonna be the same. I'm not. I'm really grateful. 
God, I'm praying that K2 won't be the same. I'm praying that in this room right here, that you do a love evolution inside of us, a dramatic change in how we, our idea about our possessions and our idea about those who are in need. And God, just a dramatic change in how we live and how our lives work, how our finances work. So God, help us with this Christmas love evolution. Help us in our, in our own general giving. Help us not to get caught up in this world. But help us to love. Help us to follow you, Jesus. And we ask for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, here's what we're going to do. Uh, oh, thanks, man. Um, go ahead and stand with me. Y'all don't leave, okay? Because I know it's worship time. Don't leave. Um, we're just going to do one song. And it's a song we've been doing, and it simply says this, I will follow. I will follow. So see, if, you're, if, you're, if you consider yourself a disciple of Christ today, then the actual, that's why Jesus said, he goes, you can't be my disciple unless you deny yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So again, don't fool yourself. Don't let the American culture fool you into thinking that you're a disciple of Jesus if you're not. Because the disciple of Jesus says, I will follow. And the only way to follow Jesus is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and live like he left. Jesus, who showed you what love was like by dying for you, laying down his life for you, you've received so much. Let's follow him. Let's just flip Christmas upside down. Let's flip this world upside down. Let's flip our hearts upside down by actually doing what we say.